God, it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's Echoes of Calvary broadcast. Glad you could join us. Continuing on in Colossians chapter 1, we look at the walk aspect. Yes, the walk aspect of good prayer. Paul's admonition to the believers in Colossae. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. We need this truth. We need to be people who not only talk a good talk about Jesus, but we walk a good walk with Jesus. There are lots of heresies today. Back in 2008, when President Obama was first inaugurated as president, Bishop Gene Robinson was asked to pray along with Rick Warren. And Bishop Gene Robinson is an international gay rights leader, and they invited him to balance off a conservative uh, evangelical pastor in, in Warren. Then, in 2012, when President Obama was inaugurated for his second term, Louis Giglio, a fine Bible-believing preacher, was asked to pray, and then he was fired before he prayed, because in researching him, they found that 20 years previously he had preached a message against homosexuality in his church. And so it's incumbent on us and needful for us to walk worthy in an increasing experiential knowledge of Christ. There is a third thing for which Paul prayed, and it's he prayed for power that strengthens. Verse 11, power that strengthens. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. How much power does God have? Well, God has all the power that there is except evil power. He has all the power that there is except evil power, and God's power always trumps evil power. God has all the power that there is except evil power. So what does God do with his power? Saves us from sin and makes us new. Controls human history. Rules his universe. But in this context, God uses his power to strengthen believers. Paul prayed that God's power would strengthen the believers at Colossae, and God, by extension, prays that our power would come from him so that we would be strengthened. Strengthened for what? For the five aspects of the spiritual fruit we covered earlier. Advancing Christian character, also known as the fruit of the Spirit. Strength for good works. Strength for leading people to salvation in Christ. Strength for praising lips through song and word, strength for financial giving to God's work. He wants us to be strengthened. Now, watch this. With what amount of power does God strengthen you if you're a believer? Do you see it there in verse 11? Strengthened with all power, if I underline my Bible, I would underline according to. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Here's the deal. According to is different than out of. According to is different than out of. God gives us power according to his power. God does not give us power out of his power. Let me illustrate. Bill and Melinda Gates are multi-billionaires with Microsoft. If they chose 
to give from their billions, they might throw a couple of hundred dollars into a charity. That would be giving from their money. But if Bill and Melinda Gates gave according to their money, they would give multiple millions of dollars to a charity. God gives us strength not from or out of his strength. He gives us strength according to his strength. Ephesians 1, 18 to 20. Listen to the power that God gives to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, of the strength of his might, watch, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Did you catch it? The power, the strength that God has for you, that he's willing to give you, that he promises you, is the same strength and power that he used to raise his son from the dead. That's staggering. And that is truth. But do you know what? That power, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that's available to each one of us, has to be plugged into in a constant way as believers. Some of you are diabetic. Medicine has come a long way to treat diabetes. But if you are needing to have insulin as a diabetic, insulin will control your blood sugar levels in ways that ought to be controlled only if you inject yourself with the insulin in a timely manner. You can have all the power that medicine can provide in insulin to manage diabetes, but if you do not administrate the needle when you need it, as much as you need it, you will not have management of diabetes. And so it is with the power you have from God, according to the same power that he raised his son from the dead, you have that as you depend on him for it. Now, will you notice with me quickly that this strengthening power that God gave to the Colossians and gives to us will result in three fabulous things. First, it will come forward in steadfastness. Second, it will come forward in patience. And third, it will come forward in joy. Steadfastness basically is like the person who has the chronic illness. Some of you battle chronic illnesses. The doctors don't hold out much hope that your illness will be cured. And you deal with your illness chronically every day. God gives you steadfastness in the sense of that word to deal with a chronic illness. The second thing that God's power gives us as we tap into it is patience. Patience specifically for being kind to difficult people. We all have difficult people in our lives. And with God's strengthening power, we can be kind and patient and loving with those difficult people. Uncle Joe who's an atheist, a vocal one, at Christmas and Easter and birthdays and picnics and family reunions. When you're strengthened by Christ's strength, you can have patience with Uncle Joe. But there's more. There's joy. Joy is a lightness because of Jesus overshadowing the bad circumstances of your life. There is not a person here today in the sound of my voice who doesn't have difficult, dark patches in their lives. Maybe you're going through them right now. Jesus, and only Jesus, can bring a lightness to your heart in those dark and difficult days. Johnny Erickson Tata, a vibrant young woman, dives into a body of water and snaps her neck, a quadriplegic. She paints beautifully with the paintbrush in her mouth. 
written so, so many books. Johnny Erickson Tata has the joy of Jesus, a lightness, although she's quadriplegic, because Jesus is her focus and not just her circumstances. Now, it's interesting that the Greek word which is translated patience has to do with patiently putting up with difficult people like Uncle Joe at the family reunion. Steadfastness is putting up with difficult things, chronic illness, flat tires, job layoffs, stub toes. But the Greek word which is translated patience has to do with difficult people. So when the Lord Jesus strengthens us, we can put up with irritating circumstances and with irritating people. Now, the third thing is this joy. It's distinctively Christian. Back in the time when the Colossians were first reading this letter, there were some people called Stoics. Those of you who know some history know that Stoics grit their teeth to weather bad things and bad individuals, but Stoics had absolutely no joy. Stoics put their newborn infants out in the cold to see if they would survive a cold night and thus become a Stoic. The total opposite of Christianity. Stoics were teeth grinders, somber people, pan-faced, subdued, duty-laden people, muscle-locked and rigid people. They had no joy. They didn't believe in joy. It wasn't stoic to be joyous. But only Christians in that time, strengthened by God's resurrection from the dead power, who could be putting up with problems and difficult and draining situations and difficult and draining people. Have you tapped into God's strength? Could you tap into God's strength this week? So steadfastness has to do with things that await you. Patience has to do with people who are available to be in your path this week. And joy is amid all of it. You will let the Lord strengthen you to be looking above your circumstance toward him. So, so far we've seen the knowledge of God's will in this prayer. That's the window. We've seen the worthy walk of this prayer. And then we've seen the power that strengthened us. That's the very power of God that raises the dead. Atomic bomb-like power available to us. The fourth and last part of this prayer is thanksgiving over inheritance. Verses 12 to 14, quickly. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Thanksgiving over our inheritance. I'm calling this way good. The thanksgiving we have selected for us by God is way good, the last W. It's a thanksgiving in verse 12a. It's a shared inheritance in 12b. It's a deliverance from the domain of darkness. Let me camp on that, verse 13a. You, if you are saved, have been delivered from the wrong side of the track spiritually. You were a rebel you were vile, so was I. You were shaking your fist at God in your own way. You lived on the wrong side of the spiritual tracks, as did I. But God has moved us from the wrong side of the spiritual tracks into inheritance and standing and adoption and forgiveness and redemption in Jesus Christ. Now we live on the right side of the tracks because of Jesus, not because of us. And that's terrific. I see the transfer from the kingdom and domain of darkness, 13a, into the kingdom of the Son of God, verse 13. Now our flesh doesn't call the shots in our daily living. At least it shouldn't. 
And now the adversary doesn't call our shots in our daily living. At least he shouldn't. Now the Spirit of God calls the shots in my daily living and yours. At least he should. And last, I see redemption in these verses. 14, in whom we have redemption. Redemption is a Bible word, a theological word that means God comes to us when we are on the wrong side of the spiritual tracks, and he purchases us out of the slave marketplace of sin, which was the only place we ever lived. And our flesh said jump, and all we could say was how high. We were tempted in sin, and all we could do is walk into it eventually. But redemption was the Lord Jesus shedding his blood and purchasing us out of the slave marketplace of sin, setting us free, bringing us into the new family of God, the new possibilities of righteousness and holiness and fulfillment and obedience. But watch this. He didn't just purchase us out of the slave marketplace of sin that we'd have to go back into it by our own mistakes ever again. No. He purchased us out of the slave marketplace of sin and set us free in the Holy Spirit in accordance with the Scriptures to do His will, never to have to return to the slave marketplace of sin again. Never. If you find yourself in the slave marketplace of sin, although you've professed faith in Jesus Christ, what are you doing there? Come out over here. Confess, admit, repent of sin. Let Jesus shed blood shed for you, cleanse you, and restore fellowship for you with God. This is way good. The forgiveness of sin, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's staggering to me that the one being in all of the universe, the creator, who has the capacity to remember everything about me, chooses to forget my sins once I confess them, and they come under the blood of Christ. The one being in the whole universe who can remember everything about you when you came to Christ in saving faith chooses to forget the sins that the blood of Christ has paid for, which is all of them. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east away from the west? You go around the globe all the way west, or you go around a globe all the way east, it's infinity. God, who can remember everything, forgets and forgives the child of his who admits sin and then turns in godly sorrow from it. Don't walk away here under the crushing load of guilt. That's way good. And no wonder we're to be eternally thankful for our inheritance in Christ. A 218-word prayer that cascaded out of Paul's quill and parchment. The same 218-word prayer that we can pray and ought to pray for each other. Will you pray with me? Oswald Chambers wrote that when you see another person not going on spiritually, God has not given you that discernment that you may criticize, but that you may intercede in prayer. Lord, make us to be an interceding church. Lord, I would pray that my brothers and sisters in Christ would understand that they are filled with experiential knowledge of you, that they will walk in a manner worthy of you, they will increase in that experiential knowledge of you, and would tap into the resurrection from the dead power you have for them. Lord, may we live as ones qualified to share in an inheritance you've picked for us, as ones who've been rescued from the domain of darkness, as ones who've been given citizenship in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for redemption. 
thank you that you mean for us not to go into the slave marketplace of sin again. Help us not to flirt with the edges of that slave marketplace. Help us to stay clear of it, knowing you, loving you, serving you. For we pray this in Jesus' name together. Amen. And now, today's personal God story. Good morning, all those out there in Radio Land. My name is Rudy Williams, and this is a brief testimony of a little of my life and how I came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I remember being in my late 20s or so. I was part of a motorcycle gang that went around the island looking for parties, hanging out, smoking and drinking, especially the big cold 45 more liquor beers that were popular back in the day. I was very popular with a lot of the finer women in society and schools. I wasn't a Christian at the time, obviously. I was dating one of the top collect models in the country at the time. A girl that was so fine that uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, most people said she was an 11. She had Colombian roots and she looked like uh, one of the girls on the Ice T cover album. I remember this vividly because um, being influenced by the rap culture back in the day, we tried to idolize these uh, so-called rap moguls. And with no mother or father, the rap moguls became our parents in a sense. The music made us feel good and gave us a sense of false hope. The music possessed our mind with demonic influence. There were a lot of fast women, fast cars, immoral living, but sweet lyrics, but no mention of God. I would stay out all hours of night with these women and my friends. I had motorbikes, sports cars. It was like I was in a trance. So much fun, always on the go, never at home for long periods. I didn't do any chores, only came home to eat and sleep. At the time, I had dreadlocks, rope chains, a ring on every finger, gold rings, gold bracelets, watches. Just how they wrap moguls dress, I would dress and present myself. I got locked up for 1.8 grams of Indian hemp and spent five days remanded in custody. The police knocked me off my motorbike doing 50 miles an hour on the way home and I went through a chain link fence cut my side and destroyed my bike, but I was alive. Soon after that, my brother Peter shot a lady and turned the gun on himself. It was the first time I ever cried as a man. I was laying down with my girlfriend at my side, staring up at the ceiling, searching and saying to myself, I've got to change my life. Listening to cable TV one day, I heard John Hagee preach from Paul's epistles and he was basically saying in layman terms, flee fornication and give no place to the devil. I didn't understand this at the time because I was a Catholic and only knew about sermons and what the priest would say about a sermon. Anyway, the sex made me feel better for a time. Then guiltiness would set in. Then to fulfill that or replace that void, we would smoke or drink just to feel good again. 
no fulfillment of the spirit, so there was always a void, a yearning that made me start searching for God. Once again, Hagee's message kept flooding in my mind, flee fornication. I decided, let me start with that. So I told my girlfriend, no more sex. My girlfriend began to sneak around with another man. She said she loved me. I would stay with you even if you were in a wheelchair. Anyway, I decided to begin reading my Bible. I read them over and over again and started to feel a warm feeling inside and peacefulness. It was like God was drawing me in as I read these words. Later on, I made a confession of faith and walked down the aisle at Calvary Bible Church and I asked for prayer. And Paul Lowe, a friend of mine from Calvary Bible Church that would meet me and talk with me, stood there with me in support. I never forgot that. Paul and I would meet every Sunday morning after, just him and I, in a Sunday school room, and he would take me through the scriptures. I look back on my friends and the gang, I guess, that I used to hang out with. Some were in jail, some had passed, some had AIDS, one was in Sandlands. I was thankful to God for opening my eyes and saving me before I went down that path. In essence, I look back at it all and realize now I owe everything to God. God pursued me. He saved me. And now I'm a son of the King of Kings. My home is in his kingdom, which is now my home, and it could be your home as well. I just want to thank you once again for taking the opportunity to listen to me and make that confession of faith before it's too late. I thank you. And now, help for the hurting with the director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Good morning again, and thank you for having us in your home. Again in the studio with me is Deborah Arnett. And uh, the question that I have for you this morning, Deborah, is how do we as a nation foster honor and respect in our children? There is no simple answer for this, um, but the thing that just jumps out at me right away is the fact that it's very important for parents to model the respect and the honor that they want their children to live out and walk out. I think it's important that they model it as opposed to demand it. Mm -hmm. And it's not just simply demonstrating courtesy when you walk in the bank and saying good morning to everybody. That's important. That's a form of respect. That's a form of honor. That's something that you should teach your children. But it is also this issue of embodying integrity. If you want to be respected by your child, if you want to be honored by your child, it is very important that you be a man or a woman of integrity, that you relate with integrity. Your children are watching you. Mm -hmm. They're watching you better than you think they are. Even if they seem embedded in that um, Samsung product or um, the iPad or the iPhone, they are attending to the way that you live your life. And they tune in at times where you think they are most distracted and aloof. And so they're paying attention to the way that you walk and the way that you deal with things. Mm -hmm. And if you're not embodying integrity, it provides them with justifications to 
not honor you and to not walk in respect. Now, as I said last time, it's important no matter how you conduct yourself that your children honor you. But at the same time, if you want to foster honor in your children, living a life of integrity is non-negotiable. Right. Also, last time I addressed the issue of the way that you talk with your children and the way that you communicate with your children. And for some parents, particularly when they're highly frustrated with a child, they feel that screaming tirades is an effective way of evoking honor and respect, particularly when they observe their child's body posture demonstrate that the child is afraid, cowering, retreating. That parent can feel empowered by what they're doing and what they're saying and the reaction of the child. But screaming and ranting does not evoke respect. It just evokes fear. And fear only works for a season. It also demonstrates rudeness and rage. It does not demonstrate the appropriate way to navigate various different challenges, frustrations, or even to appropriately express your anger. And so it becomes this very complicated situation where the child will perceive anger as bad or negative, particularly when your child models this behavior in another environment and they are chastised, corrected, punished, disciplined by whoever the authority is in that environment for their anger or their outburst of anger. Mm -hmm. um, but they're living out what they see you live out. Right. But you know, I've heard parents say over and over, the child will not move unless I shout, unless I scream at him or her. Um, then the child would make an effort to do what they want them to do. What do you think brings that about? Why is it that uh, they feel that it's necessary to scream at the child? As I just mentioned, of course, um, there's a sense of power when you do get that response. And if you feel powerless as a parent and you get a response, then you feel empowered. And so what you yourself are doing is that you're teaching yourself that you have to behave a certain way in order to get what you want. And that's power in your home. That's control over your kids. But it's ineffective because what you're more than likely doing is evoking a flight, fight, freeze response. Okay. So you're getting reaction that's not a thought out reaction by your child, particularly when they're Younger. Um, and these are natural responses, or we would call them emotional reflexes, where the body engages a response to protect itself. So if someone's raging and ranting and screaming, or even, unfortunately, becoming physical with you, mm -hmm. you are either going to fight back, you are going to run, or you are going to freeze. Those are not healthy responses um, when it's in response to a parent's rage or tirades or yelling or screaming, um, but they are natural responses of the body when the individual or the child feels threatened. And we all engage in these responses when we feel threatened. Um, another thing that's very important that we can probably unpack the next time related to your question is that it's important to foster discipline. Okay. And that is the way that I would suggest that you tackle this issue of promoting your child's respect and honor without yelling, screaming, and ranting and raving. Okay, thank you very much, Deborah, and uh, thank you for uh, speaking to this, and we will continue the next time, God's willing. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. 
And remember, everyone needs a savior.